We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are going to dive into BLM Part 2. I am your host, Sherry Wilson, of We the Deplorables, the place for faith, family, and freedom, and unfortunately, I guess we're the smelly Walmart people. I want to dive right in without any more introduction. I highly recommend that you listen to Part 1, and we get into the Marxist nature of BLM, But that's not the only thing that is deeply entrenched, uh, or um, let me phrase it this way. BLM and critical race theory are deeply entrenched and influenced by Marxism, but they're also entrenched in something else. So I'm going to bring up a video, I should have had it up, I thought I did, by an Alexander Hamilton, and he has uh, been talking about uh, BLM, he's a, actually a black commentator uh, with the Hamilton Corner podcast, and he's been bringing to light a lot of the truth of what's going on uh, with BLM. And one of the things that he uh, discovered and talked about was the witchcraft aspect. So I'm going to play a little clip here so you can hear it from Patrice in her own words. If I can get it on here. Here we go. Conversation between two women. One of them is named Dr. Melina Abdullah, that she is a professor of African studies at California State University, Los Angeles. She's having a Zoom type conversation with Patrice Colors. Let me welcome you into their little conversation where she admits, maybe I'm sick. Too much. Listen to Dr. Melinda Abdullah, who's also, in addition to being a professor at California State University, Los Angeles, she's also the founder of the BLM Los Angeles chapter of the organization. Please play clip. Clip number one. Maybe I'm sharing too much, but we become very intimate with the spirits that we call on regularly, right? Like each of them seems to have a different presence and personality you know i laugh a lot with wakisha you know and i didn't meet her in her body right i met her through this work oh lord you she she said she laughs a lot with wakisha who she didn't meet in her body okay let me uh fast forward because i want you to hear another clip basically she's describing how they talk to dead people which as you know most christians know that's actually demonic. 
Patrice Collins. It's a very important practice. Um, hashtags are for us are way more than a hashtag. It is um, literally almost resurrecting spirits so they can work through us to get the work that we need to get done. I started to feel personally connected and responsible and accountable to them, um, both from a deeply political place, but also from a deeply spiritual place. And um, always, you know, in, our, in, in my tradition, you offer things that that your loved one who passed away would want, you know, um, whether it's like honey or tobacco, things like that. And that's, it's so important, not just for us to be in direct relationship to our people who've passed, but also for them to know they we've remembered them. Um, I, I believe so many of them work through us. Mm. Now, in case you're wondering who that is speaking, that is Patrice Colors. Okay, so I just wanted to play that clip to let you guys hear from her mouth um, their belief system and that it is flat out demonic. It is demonic. It is the consultation with demons and familiar spirits. And it is the demonic power behind their movement, which probably explains why there's so much money behind their movement. Now, the religion that she is a part of is Obu Ifa, and it's a, a Yoruba religion and system of divination. Its literary corpus is a Odu Ifa uh, or Orn Milg, I believe. Um, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, Odu Ifa. And then this other person, uh, Orin Mil- Milg, is identified as the Grand Priest, as he who. Uh, he is who revealed divinity and prophecy to the world. And it goes on and on, but it's basically uh, a divining chain or a sacred palm or cola nuts called uh, Iken or Ekin on a wooden divination tray. And it's practiced throughout the Americas, West Africa, the uh, Canary Islands in the form of complex religious systems. And it plays, get this, a critical role in the traditions of Santeria, uh, and other um, Afro-American uh, faiths and um, traditional uh, American religions, etc. So there's uh, voodoo is even part of it. So here's the thing that's important to understand. When they chant, say her name, that's actually them invoking the dead person using the dead person's name. And Christians are actually supporting this crap. I want you to listen to Abdullah, the one she was talking uh, to, summoning spirits. I want you, I want you to hear this first, and then I'll tell you where it's at. Many of those very same plantations were morphed into prisons which contained 
Okay, so that goes on and on and on. But basically, she is summoning the spirits of dead people. And that was in a Methodist church. So uh, I, <laughs> it, it's beyond words. I mean, sometimes when I think about this stuff, I, I'm just at a loss. How, how far have we come from the person of truth in Jesus Christ? Where we have people come into our churches and summon spirits. And so um, there's a, a video that I'm going to have in the show notes. And it was a Patrice uh, called A Prayer for a Runner. And if you notice, if you watch the whole thing, it's really creepy. It's really weird. Um, but basically, she's doing prayers according to her ancestors with candles, etc. And it's just strange. Uh, I was going to play it, but you really can't see what I'm referring to. So I just recommend that in the show notes, you go ahead and, and open that link up on YouTube. So BLM is tied to witchcraft, despite what some would try to have you believe. Uh, this is from the founders themselves out of their own mouths. And I want to um, tackle the defrauding, uh, I mean, defunding the police. First, let me say that any unjust killing of a person, regardless of color, by people in authority is wrong. Justice must prevail. But I am curious why it's justifiable to burn down your own city. Why is that justice? Especially when you ruin minorities' businesses. Many of them are black in those neighborhoods. I've got a thought on that. I've got a theory. And what I think is that if these people are trained Marxists, and have you noticed there's a lot of white people in these groups that are burning down cities? I find that very interesting. But anyway, if they're trained Marxists, that means they're against capitalism, they're for socialism, therefore they want to destroy this country. If you're a black business owner and that means you're part of capitalism. And since BLM is Marxist, then you're now considered part of the oppression. I mean, that's, that's what I'm kind of thinking here. Because they have turned on black police officers as traitors. And it wouldn't surprise me at all that that's why they also burn down black business owners' businesses because they are part of the oppression, the capitalistic system. Now, I personally believe that there are several agendas behind the defraud. Oh, I'm sorry. Again, defund the police. Um, and I'll share one that I think uh, is very viable. Uh, and it's from Candace Owens. She uh, was interviewed, I believe, by Tucker Carlson a couple weeks ago. And he was asking her, you know, like, what what do you think this is, especially with Mayor Lightfoot over in Chicago? Because on the day, it was like the anniversary that Trump had offered to send in some federal help. She refused it, but then she invites Biden in to uh, get that same federal help. So what does that tell us? That tells us that there was no way she could give a win for Trump. So she was willing to sacrifice hundreds of people dying in between now uh, or between then and now. So they don't care about you. These people don't care about you. I mean, if you can just get that in your head, there's always an agenda. There's always politics involved. And so for Candace Owens, she thinks that a big reason uh, Lightfoot and others 
aren't doing what they need to do, which is their constitutional uh, obligation to protect the citizens of their cities and states, um, is so that there can be a way made for the feds to get more control. In other words, send in federal police and take over Chicago. I agree with her. I agree with her 100%. This is all about having big government expand its reach into all aspects of society. It's about taking away state rights. So BLM is a major player behind um, the defund uh, the police. Let me read you straight from their uh, website, uh, written July 6, 2020, what defunding the police really means. We know that police don't keep us safe. And as long as we continue to pump money into our corrupt criminal justice system at the expense of housing, health, and education investments, we will never truly be safe. Now, the first thing is we've already pumped tons of money into housing, health, and education, and it's failing. That's why we are calling to hashtag defund police, excuse me, and hashtag invest in communities in our new video, Black Lives Matter Managing Director Kaylee Scales helps break it down with how it works. And you can watch the video again. I've got that in the show notes. And so their idea is that police don't keep us safe. Therefore, we need to get rid of them. And it's not about protecting black people, if you wonder about that. Uh, If that was the case, they would be up in arms of the disproportionate black population being killed off by each other in Chicago. So that's not what this is about. This is about destabilizing society to take over just like they did in Soviet Russia. Now, I'm going to play you a short clip of one of the founders of BLM. I don't remember her name, but we'll hear it uh, in a second or I'll give it to you on MSNBC. And I want you to note how the um, uh, news anchor, okay, so this is Alicia Garza. So she is one of the founders. Um, How he starts his question, how he leads it off. When you hear the phrase, when Americans hear the phrase defund the police, um, I, you're not calling for defunding police departments and getting rid of police. Explain what you mean by that. So did you notice that? He's basically her PR person. He's saying, we know that you're not for getting rid of the police. Oh, really? Do we? I, I Actually, I don't know that. When we talk about defunding the police, what we're saying is invest in the resources that are community food. So much of policing right now is generated and directed towards quality of life issues, homelessness, drug addiction, uh, uh, domestic violence, and conflict between countries. In order to address those issues. But what we do need is increased funding for housing, we need increased funding for education, we need increased funding for the quality of life of communities who are over-policed and over surveilled. And so, you know, I heard Senator Booker earlier say, you know, it's not a phrase I would use, but I actually agree with the content. And so I would just ask all of us, are we willing to live in fear that our lives will be taken by police officers who are literally using their power in the wrong way? Or are we willing to adopt and absorb the fear of what it might mean to change our practices which will ultimately lead to a better quality of life for everyone. And so again, I want to be very, very clear. 
seven years ago, people thought that Black Lives Matter was a radical idea. And yet Black Lives Matter is now a household name, and it's something being discussed across kitchen tables all over the world. Why can't we start to look at how it is that we reorganize our priorities so that people don't have to be in the streets protesting during a national pandemic? It's really in a global pandemic. It's time for us to address the pandemic in our communities, and that pandemic is not having the resources we need to live well. And that's not just a Black problem, that's everybody's Okay, so when you listen to these people talk, you know, a lot of it, it sounds reasonable, right? You know, we want better education and better housing and things like that. But again, we've already thrown a bunch of money at it. But uh, they're giving you a pipe dream because the less police you have, the more criminal activity. I mean, it's just a fact. That's how it is. And everything sounds great, you know. And what's amazing is how they've become a household name. So again, the statistics of crime and the murder rate of law officers, it's doubled. In some places, it's tripled. In Portland, Oregon, it's off the charts. I mean, it's amazing. And so here's where things get a little bit interesting. Politicians, and when I say that, I'm referring to rhinos and Democrats, have figured out that most Americans don't want police to fund it, including black Americans, because it actually makes them more unsafe. The statistics of uh, police-involved killings of citizens is not adding up. So again, it's an agenda to destabilize. So Cedric Richmond, a senior advisor to the president and the director of the White House Office of Public Engagement, said this. Biden five-point plan will not address the rise in murder and uh, vicious assaults in this country. We have a lack of prosecution. And we've declared war on the police, and that is backfiring on those who have done it. Does Senator Graham have a point there? Absolutely not. In fact, Senator Graham doesn't have a clue. And let's talk about who defunded the police. Uh, when we were in Congress last year trying to pass a rescue plan, or, I'm sorry, not the rescue plan, but an emergency relief plan for cities that were cash-strapped and laid off police and firefighters, it was the Republicans who objected to it. And in fact, they didn't get funding until the American Rescue Plan, which our plan allowed state and local governments to replenish their police departments and do the other things that are needed. So look, Republicans are very good at staying on talking points of who says defund the police, but the truth is they defunded the police. We funded crime intervention and a whole bunch of other things. So I think that this is a very smart, comprehensive approach to dealing with violence in our communities. Okay, this is what they do. He basically said, which by the way, fact check, uh, said it was an outright lie. And that they lie with impunity. They, they are not embarrassed. Uh, they don't blink an eye. And so basically, they're trying to say that Republicans are the ones that are defunding the police. I mean, I don't even have time to give you all the clips of AOC and uh, Kamala Harris and all these other far left, right, or left wing uh, nut jobs saying to defund the police, the squad, you know, over in Washington, D.C., all of them, all of them have said this. All the mayors of the cities where they defunded, all of them supported it. And they're now twisting it. They always do. It's so important to understand 
that Democrats will always twist the narrative and turn it on, on conservatives. And unfortunately, conservatives are too polite and just let them do it. We're the racists, yet Democrats voted no on most civil rights issues for black people, as we discussed in the last episode. Trump is mentally deranged and too old to be in office. Now look at what we've got. We've got a guy that's literally too old and probably has Alzheimer's. Trump was colluding with Russia and Ukraine. Actually, it was Biden using his son Hunter. So you can pretty much take anything the Democrats accuse conservatives of and know that's exactly what they're doing. Get this. I just learned about this today. Speaking of Black Lives Matter, this is incredible. Uh, Now, by the way, that was June 27th when Cedric said that. And it didn't gain much traction because a lot of people are like, that is too big of a lie for even us to shove down the throats of Americans. Now, on the Communist News Network and MSDNC, maybe they've gotten away with it, but it's kind of died down as far as uh, them trying to blame Republicans for defund the police. But this was an article that came out today, actually. Black Lives Matter blames deadly Cuban protests on U.S. government and defense regime. Black Lives Matter is blaming the U.S. government's cruel and inhumane economic embargo for the current unrest in Cuba while praising the communist regime for its solidarity by granting asylum to black revolutionaries. The Marxist organization has faced strong criticism since posting a statement on July 14th in response to protests have erupted in multiple cities across Cuba, where demonstrators have called for greater freedoms and an end to leader Miguel Diaz-Canal's authoritarian regime. In the note that was posted to its social media profiles, the group condemned the 1962 U.S. embargo, claiming it was instituted with the explicit intention to destabilize Cuba and undermine the rights of Cubans to choose their own government. They're going back to 1962, guys, and blaming Republicans. America, of course, because America's evil. That's, that's how they view us. We're evil. And if you're a white person, you're even more evil. Black Lives Matter condemns the U.S. federal government's inhumane treatment of Cubans and urges it to immediately lift the economic embargo, the group wrote. This cruel and inhumane policy instituted with the explicit intention of destabilizing the country and undermining Cubans' right to choose their own government is at the heart of Cuba's current crisis. The largest protest the communist-controlled country has seen in decades erupted over the weekend after citizens rallied against ongoing shortages of food and other goods, high prices and power cuts amid a deep economic crisis in the country made worse by the Chinese Communist Party virus pandemic-related lockdowns. And it goes on and on and on. Um, one thing I like that uh, Rubio said, the extortionist ring known as the Black Lives Matter organization took a break today from shaking down uh, corporations for millions and buying themselves mansions to share their support for the communist regime in Cuba. Again, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. That was from the Epoch Times. I highly recommend it, paying the yearly subscription. So what can you do? Well, one reason these groups have been so effective is they are professional grassroots organizers, and we need to learn from them. We need to create our own grassroots movements using education and solving real problems, then network those across the country. And we need to not be a nonprofit or for profit. People can buy their own t shirts and give them away. You know, don't make donations. Take that money, get the stuff that you need, and get to work. Because the IRS was weaponized against the Tea Party, and they're not even around anymore in an effective and meaningful way. Christians need to engage the Seven Mountain again. The marketplace 
and your unique gifts and skills were given to you so you can gain a place of influence in your profession. And so ask God to guide you to the places of influence because the enemy always goes to the top of the mountain and to the influencers. And we need to be more shrewd because we have wisdom in us and wisdom is being shrewd. And so where this whole idea that the church has to abdicate their roles in the seven mountains of society and try to get people to their mountain is basically false doctrine and it's caused a lot of damage. In fact, it's one of the reasons America is in trouble. Join the chamber to keep abreast of community things. Run for its board, whatever you need to do. Find another board or a couple that you can be on that will give you a place of influence. We really need people to be elected to school boards because I guarantee you critical race theory is on your small town school being taught. Sit down with people of opposite race and have that conversation. I mean, there are legitimate concerns on both sides, and we need to start listening. In fact, uh, my kettlebell coach, Coach Greg McNeil, um, I asked him his opinion on a lot of this stuff probably about a year ago when it all got started. And we were talking about, you know, the writing of the Declaration of Independence and all that stuff. And he said, you know, Sherry, I understand what you're saying. But let me show you this. And he's the one that alerted me to laws that the Supreme Court upheld that were racist. I mean, bad. And I would have never known that if I wouldn't have asked him questions. And so we've got to hear both sides and start coming to an understanding. Now, I'm going to suggest some recommended reading. i got to open my drawer here. I meant to have it out, but I didn't. It's been a long week, guys. I've been watching this store for my boss, a jewelry store, all week, and I'm I'm pretty tired. Got to have appointments before and after, work until 9 or 10 at never night. But uh, this book is uh, called, the recommended reading this week, The Christian Left by Lucas Miles, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. It's very, very good. Uh, he's a trusted voice in uh, Amer- the American church. He addresses challenging topics in theology, politics, and culture. He's also tied to some... Uh, great uh, uh, productions, movie productions and things, if I'm not mistaken. I highly recommend that. But guys, we can do this. There's more of us than there are of them. And so I want to leave you with some good news. Let me get over here to it. This is absolutely fabulous. A mystery man leaves a $16,000 tip at a New Hampshire restaurant. New Hampshire restaurant thanking the mystery man who recently left thousands of dollars in tip money. Now it was business as usual at the Stumble Inn Bar and Grill in Lindenary when a customer sat by himself at an outdoor bar. The unassuming patron ordered a couple of hot dogs, some fried pickles, and cocktails. But when it was time to pay up, things took a turn. The tab just $37 and the tip $16,000. The customer assured the restaurant owner that the amount was correct, saying he just wanted to do something nice for the staff. I've been doing this for a very long time, and I never thought anything like this would happen to me. You know, it's just been a really rough year for all of us, and for someone to to do something like that um, really restored my faith in, you know, humanity. Well, the staff shares all tips, so all eight servers will divvy up the cash and share it with the cooks as well. As for the top tipper, he wanted to remain anonymous. Isn't that great? 
there's still good people out there. You're one of those. And uh, we can save this country. But we're going to have to be as focused, as dedicated, and as vigilant, and as loud as those that seek to destroy her. Thank <laughs> you.